Welcome to Access Pro Rata, where we take just 10 minutes to get you smarter on the collision of tech, business, and politics. I'm Dan Primack. On today's show, tracking the coronavirus from space and private equity nearly closes a hospital. But first, misinformation in the age of coronavirus. It's no secret that trust in media has been falling over the past decade, and even faster since President Trump began using fake news as a rhetorical crutch. And the coronavirus outbreak hasn't really seemed to change those trend lines at the national level, even though trust in local media is on an upswing. Why it matters is that information right now isn't a luxury. It could be the difference between life and death, putting extra responsibility on news outlets, social media platforms, and public officials to be certain in what they report, amplify, and say. And while many in all three of those buckets have indeed been doing laudable work, there are also trouble spots. Internationally, we have seen media repression play out in countries like China, Hungary, Egypt, Iran, Brazil, and the Philippines. Meanwhile, back here at home, President Trump has regularly said untrue or unfounded things about the pandemic, which many in the press have repeated verbatim and which then get shared endlessly on social media. And speaking of social media, then there's Facebook, which has indeed been generally strong when it comes to stopping coronavirus misinformation and encouraging the sharing of accurate information, but which also is under fire after recent reports that it opted not to investigate an intentional misinformation campaign by conservative website, The Daily Wire. Now, to be clear, The Daily Wire misinformation wasn't specific to coronavirus, but the incident did reflect the thorny realities of how Facebook takes into account the possibility of partisan backlash when making censorship decisions. The bottom line, coronavirus didn't cause Americans to distrust media, but it has exposed how problematic that distrust can be, particularly when people reflexively don't believe information that could help them from not getting infected or from infecting others. In 15 seconds, we'll go deeper with Axios media reporter Sarah Fisher. But first, this. Axios gives you the news and analysis you need to get smarter faster on the most important topics. In our unique Smart Brevity format, we cover topics from politics to science and media to tech. Subscribe to get smarter faster at signup.axios.com. And now, back to the Pro Rata Podcast. We're joined now by Axios media reporter, Sarah Fisher. So Sarah, let's start specifically with social media and then move into the broader media landscape. When you look at say Facebook and Twitter, do you feel one of them is doing a better job than the other when it comes to policing and removing misinformation about coronavirus? I think they're both doing a much better job than they have in the past. There's one thing we've seen about the coronavirus is it's forced tech platforms to own their role as publishers. So we saw two remarkable things happen. One is that Twitter removed some tweets by the Brazilian president that contained misinformation about the virus. They also removed tweets from Laura Ingram, a popular media personality. Facebook stopped that Brazilian president's Facebook Live. And so why does this matter, Dan? In the past, tech platforms would never take action on a head of state. They've been really reluctant to police misinformation coming from Trump's Twitter handle and posts. But in the age of coronavirus, where there are real-world implications for what could happen to people in response to misinformation, for the first time, we're seeing them take real, true action. Let me actually ask about Facebook. In the open, we talked a little bit about this Daily Wire story. What are your thoughts on that? Why do you think, as you say, Facebook stopped that Bolsonaro live uh, broadcast in midstream? Why do you think when it came to the Daily Wire, they seemed to not act? 
Well, it's a partisan publisher, and it's a partisan publisher on the right. As we know, Facebook and other tech companies have battled bias allegations that they are biased against conservatives. We know that they've been stepping up their relationships with conservatives on Capitol Hill. They have a lot of conservative policy and sort of legislative officials on their staff in D.C. to work towards creating better relationships with conservatives. And I think the fear was that if they were to go after a conservative publisher like the Daily Wire, they would be called out for being biased, for censoring conservatives. And at this point, given all of the things that Facebook faces from a regulatory perspective, antitrust, privacy, you name it, that's just a risk they don't want to take politically right now. So what you're saying is they're more scared of kind of a relatively small right wing website than of the president of one of the largest countries on Earth. Well, when you put it like that, I don't know if it's necessarily being scared. I think what it comes down to is, do they feel they have the proper grounds at every moment to be able to take something down? And Facebook has in the past distinguished the importance of content that's posted by a news publisher versus a head of state. The reason why they're going to go after a news publisher or might be reluctant to go after a head of state is because they think that the head of state's comments are much more important. I think that's why you're seeing them actually grapple a little bit more with the Daily Wire. With the president, it's basically been default, don't touch it. So you're not seeing them take as much action. That's why when we saw them go after the Brazilian head of state, it was so newsworthy. We almost never see them have those types of debates. One of the things we've obviously seen in the last couple of weeks when it comes to the coronavirus and media coverage is, at least on the cable news networks, kind of live streams or live broadcasts of these coronavirus task force press conferences, which really have become President Trump talking for about 30 minutes, then maybe some other administration officials, including uh, some of the uh, folks involved kind of on the infectious disease side, like Dr. Anthony Fauci, and then often Q&A with the media. I'm curious, when it comes to some disinformation that has come from Trump himself during these, either during his statements or the Q&A parts, they get fact checked later, but how do you feel the media at large is doing and kind of grappling with how to balance kind of like what Facebook was balancing the statements from our head of state with not wanting the public to be misinformed about something that is arguably life and death? Oof, it's a very tough balance. Well, here's what I'll say. They've been grappling with this for a long time. Even before the coronavirus pandemic, networks have tried to grapple with, A, whether or not they take all of not only the president's briefings, but his press people's briefings and spokespeople's briefings who spew misinformation. And B, they've also been grappling with, do we take pro-Trump surrogates or administration officials on our programs if they're going to be spewing misinformation in real time. I think what the networks are doing now is starting to make a lot of sense. They're cutting away from the briefing if they're finding that it ventures into something that feels like pro-Trump TV. So let me give you an example. Yesterday, after the president and after health administration officials were talking about facts and figures and precautions around the virus, the president lined up a long line of CEOs that were favorable to his message to talk about how great the administration was doing. Most of the networks immediately cut away from those figures, including the MyPillow CEO. And I think that's how they're starting to grapple with this. Show what's important, show authoritative figures, but pull away if you hear misinformation. And if you can, if you do hear something that's wrong, 
Fact check it in real time using a Chiron, using those lower thirds at the bottom of the TV screen. We're starting to see networks do that a little bit more. Obviously, uh, trust in media has uh, probably never been lower, or at least when, but when you look at the numbers and there's polls on this all the time, some good, some bad. When it comes to what we've seen with the coronavirus coverage, do you believe that trust in media has gone up because of information has come out or has it gone down in part because of Trump himself continuing to say fake news about coronavirus related stories? We're starting to see trust in media go up in certain levels. So trust in local media has gone way up. It's always been up, but people are turning to their local broadcasters, radio, newspaper publishers for information now more than ever. Where we're seeing decline trust in media continuously, and it's getting even worse, is trust in media that's displayed on social media. People continue to think that they're getting fake news online. They're getting fake news on Facebook and on Twitter. And so we're seeing an increase in trust of organizations, but if it's presented to them on a feed, that's where we're seeing trust really decline. Sarah Fisher of Axios, who writes the weekly media trends newsletter, which you can get at signup.axios.com. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you, Dan. My final two right after this. There is more news out there than ever before, but these days it's harder than ever to find it and to know what to trust. Axios AM takes the effort out of getting smart by synthesizing the 10 stories that will drive the day and telling you why they matter. Subscribe at signup.axios.com. And now back to the ProRata podcast. Now it's time for my final two. And first up is coronavirus tracking. You've likely heard about how certain countries like Singapore are using cell phone GPS software to track COVID-19 cases. But now there's also talk that pandemic tracking could be done via Earth-gazing space satellites that can feed data on everything from empty or full parking lots to roadways to people going in and out of buildings. As Axios' Miriam Kramer reports, quote, a satellite's view can allow health researchers to understand the context of an outbreak in a way other tools cannot. And has the potential to help scientists predict when and where the next infectious disease outbreak may occur. And finally, private equity has done a lot of things right during the coronavirus pandemic, uh, from the Blackstone Group agreeing not to evict any of its property tenants to the partners of Leonard Green reaching into their own pockets for $10 million to help portfolio company employees. But then there is Cerberus Capital Management, whose portfolio includes a for-profit hospital chain called Stewart Health. You might have heard of Stewart because it's got lots of hospitals all over the country doing vital work, but it's also been threatening to close a hospital in Pennsylvania's Lehigh Valley if the state doesn't come up with immediate bailout money. Now, to be sure, this has been a money-losing hospital for years, and under normal circumstances, the closure would make sense. But to take that many, hundreds of beds offline in the midst of a pandemic is callously putting profit over people, and something Cerberus should have either stopped at the board level or something its individual executives should have offered to stop via dipping into their own giant bank accounts. Thankfully, the state and state taxpayers just did bail out the hospital with $8 million of immediate funding and up to $24 million total, which stops the closure, which was scheduled to begin tomorrow. But it just should not have come to that. And we're done. Big thanks for listening. And to my producers, Tim Shovers and Naomi Shaven, have a great national Bunsen Burner Day. And we'll be back tomorrow with another Pro Rata Podcast.